Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, the space where I sit down with the world's most interesting brands and digital agencies to unpack where they're at, where they're going, and how they're navigating the consumer landscape. I'm your host, Tim. So I'm changing up the format a bit for the rest of the year. I'm moving from a season-based schedule to weekly episodes. This will continue into next year also. I really appreciate you tuning in. So if you've got any feedback, you can hit me up at timatyourbasketisempty.com. On episode 63, I sit down with Matt Kennedy, CEO and founder of Fussy. Fussy are a sustainable deodorant brand on a mission to banish single-use plastic from your bathroom with simple, high-quality and effective personal care products that are backed by science, not buzzwords. We explore why working in advertising is a great foundation for starting a business, launching a product on Kickstarter, being relentlessly focused on the customer and product, why growth equals marketing and ops, their dragon's den experience, spoiler alert, the lift is actually fake, why everything is a creative opportunity and acquisition opportunities in the current macro climate. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Matt, welcome to the pod. How are you and where are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm in the office in Bethnal Green, East London. Get nice offices around here and, and reasonable rent um, in Bethnal Green. So, um, yeah, that's where we're, where we're based at the moment. That's a good spot. I used to live in Bethnal Green in 2009. Oh, nice. Mm, nice. Yeah. It's changed a bit. Or maybe it not has. that much, actually. Well, it was interesting. So when I first, uh, I said this is my like second stint in London. So I lived in London from like 2009 to 2011. And I moved to Clapham originally. And I was like, I do not like this. This is not my vibe at all. And I like I knew East London because I'd had friends there and like had visited there like 2007, 2008. But like a friend said, let's go to London Fields one day. And I went there and I was like, dude, I got to be near here. So Bethnal Green was the, the place to be. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, way more gentrified than 2009. It was still, I mean, it's a bit sketchy now, but it was way more sketchy then. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a bit sketchy. Yeah. But I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> so um, I usually like to do a bit of a rewind. You spent a bit of time or a good chunk of time in agency land. I'm curious about your experiences there and why you decided to leave that world take the plunge and start your own brand yeah sure um yeah so i loved working in uh adland so um i originally actually qualified i came up with more kind of engineering route so i so i studied surveying and engineering at university uh went to the city became a, a surveyor uh before then quitting and um and moving into advertising so I, I, I was kind of doing the opposite of what i was doing in advertising uh so as a surveyor it's project management of sustainable uh, multi-million pound construction projects and then i went into actually coming up with the ideas and writing you know scripts etc for, for adverts um and it was an amazing job it really was it was like my my, my dream job um you basically spend all your day coming up with ideas and then getting to execute on them um but i guess you also spend your idea your, your time coming up with these ideas and then giving them to someone else mm. um 
And I think um, I think all creatives by kind of their nature are quite entrepreneurial in that sense, because it's about finding creative solutions to problems. Uh, and that's exactly what Fussy is, right? That's exactly what startups um, do. So um, so I think it was always like a, a kind of a natural progression for me to, to do my own thing. Um, I actually also used to like, it's quite sad really, but I used to like design logos of like in my, in my notepad or whatever of like companies that I didn't yet run or exist, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but so were you into definitely... the, what were you most interested in? Was it the design element of it or did you get a bit of a kick out of like, oh, actually this could be like a cool thing, like a cool idea, like the actual business behind it? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I'm quite fiercely independent. So obviously that uh, helps. Um, but it's the excitement of building something and making something. I've always always wanted to make something. Uh, and, you know, I studied at A level, uh, you know, maths, physics, and, and product design. And actually, when I went then to do engineering for the first time, I say first time because I, I, I failed the first time. Um, it was suddenly all maths, and I wasn't making. So I've always kind of had a, a default position to to kind of like go out and do things. Um, so I so I guess that's where it come from. And then advertising also gives gave me permission to to kind of do that. So um, there was one idea. You know, you're constantly just trying to build up your your book, your portfolio of work. So, I had this idea to turn leftover sushi rice from sushi sushi restaurants into Japanese rice wine, and I found on LinkedIn the CEO of a big uh, corporate uh, sushi chain, uh, Sticks and Sushi. I'm sure they don't mind me sharing it. Approached him. He was up for a meeting. Went and met him. Pitched him the idea, and he said, "Let's do it." And this was whilst I was working in advertising, but as a side project. So. I was kind of doing it and, and, and we bought that product to market and that product eventually they 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 bought that product so um and and, and i guess that kind of taught me you know like wow you know um i can come up with an idea execute it and then but again i gave it away you know so <laughs> um so yeah the, the next time it happened i was like i'm not i'm not going to give it away and um and also i learned a few harsh lessons about trademarks i think um it was called for goodness uh for goodness sake for goodness sake nice uh and <laughs> yeah, love a pun and uh yeah diageo got after us for the for, for that so i think they had to change the name as well but oh blimey um, yeah i also think advertising actually kind of teaches you like a, a work ethic um you know you'll know from working in agency backgrounds especially when you're working at like top to, you know tier five agencies or, or so that you know there's just a general work ethic and mm. a passion for the work mm. um whilst i totally agree that you've got to have work-life balance you know um fundamentally sometimes like that, that vibe in the agency i used to i used to quite enjoy um putting in the hard work and you know sometimes working through the night literally um which sounds awful but you know there was you know the music's pumping and you're kind of the adrenaline's going and i think that that kind of work ethic is is kind of you know really suited as well to kind of running your own your own startup yeah totally uh yeah no i definitely uh can <laughs> to the light all night as the it's like the classic agency thing it's sort of like <laughs> slightly comical and like hollywoodized <laughs> isn't it but it is true um i'm curious then so you know talking about you it sounds like an incredibly entrepreneurial person but why did you decide to tackle sustainability through the lens of armpits of all things <laughs> Yeah, good question. Um, sustainability has always been a key interest of mine. So, as I said, when I was a surveyor, it was you know my, my dissertation and everything was all very much on uh, energy efficiency, and so there's always been that element. But but ultimately, 
two things happened uh and a kind of a, a collision i guess one at, one at work and one at home so at work i was actually started working for the likes of png uh pantene gillette uh some of the the fmcg brands that you know now now are probably competitors so i was working for them and pitching them ideas and sustainable ideas and getting uh getting lots of no's uh so i was getting increasingly frustrated there because i could see a huge opportunity that these guys were missing out on um and for whatever reason there's too much red tape or you know too much shareholder pressure i saw it was about six months ago wasn't it some you know one of the shareholders of, of hellman's mayonnaise said can we please stop discussing the social purpose of mayonnaise and get back to selling it uh, which i thought was <laughs> funny interesting um but you know that that kind of attitude i guess you know you've got to be careful with who your shareholders are but but um so yeah so there's this this pressure at this this frustration at work and then at home my wife becky uh was pregnant at the time and hopefully won't mind me saying that she was struggling to find um a natural product that was keeping her smelling fresh oh, <laughs> so uh Yes, because a lot of pregnant women want to use natural products in, you know, at the armpit sensitive area, um, and and you know we're struggling. So so there was that these two kind of problems, um, and then you know came together to, to solve them. Um, also, the timing, you know, COVID just hit, and we just got into lockdown, um, and so it gave me a little bit more free time. You know, there was no two hour commute every day. Mm. And, so it was kind of like oh i've got a bit of a bit, bit of time here why don't i start looking into this as a potential side project and that's yeah here we are <laughs> so did it yeah i'm always i'm super super intrigued by those kind of like the the really fundamental early stages so did you was it was a side project that turned into something and at what point did you go oh this is something and you're going to sort of go fully into it was it was it like a a key light bulb or you know moment or was it a series of events that kind of led to it slightly more organic yeah 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 i guess when i say side project, I, I always wanted it to become a business like that that, that that's like 100 percent. but the, the way of me doing that um was was i guess kind of de-risking it slightly so you know i had my mortgage i had a job um and, and so did my co-founder at the time so it was about ensuring that we were taking risks but those were measured risks so for us that was working evenings weekends um and what we actually did is we launched via a kickstarter project and um in hindsight i you know we'll probably come on to it later but in, in terms of our kind of launch strategy and growth strategy i would say that's like fundamentally like the best thing that we did um because if a it proved that there was like a demand for the product um so we launched the refillable deodorant um on, on on Kickstarter in October 2020, I think it went on to become uh, the highest grossing deodorant ever on the platform. We sold wow. 100,000 pounds worth, and you know we had three three and a half thousand customers then, uh, and no product. <laughs> um, and um, but that showed us there was something, and off the back of that, we were then able to go right. Let's try and raise some money, raise some money, and then we quit our jobs. So it it, it was about. Um, I know there's the kind of old school mentality of like. And we met some investors who were like, you know, I'm not investing in this unless you're full up, fully in. And I'm like, I, I'm fully in. I just haven't quit my job. Like, I, I'm probably yeah. more more fully in than someone has quit their job because I'm working 24 seven seven days a week. Like, like how much more commitment do you want, kind of thing. Um, and also, I, was, I, I used to say to those people, like, do you want us to take your money and take crazy risks or take calculated risks? Because that's what mm. that's a, that's that's the approach we've done here. We've Taken a calculated risk, proved there's market demand. We've got a customer base. Now we're going uh, going for it. So, um, so yeah, that's that's how it started um, as a Kickstarter project. 
And then, yeah, I suppose that's a, that's a good segue into sort of more of that early stage of growth. So t- talk me through beyond the Kickstarter. How have you guys been acquiring customers? How have you been retaining them? What's worked? What's not worked? I mean, you've started a brand, which we'll get onto in a bit, in a very sort of um, interesting time. <laughs> you know, I suppose there's a lot of positive negatives to take from it. But yeah, what, what's been kind of driving growth thus far? Yeah, I guess a strategy changes, um, our growth strategy changes like depending on the stage of the business that you're you're at. And I'd also caveat it by saying, you know, I'd love to say that we had it all planned out, um, but but you, you you just don't, you know. I think there's just certain uh, mentalities and fundamentals you put in place that will help you. So like test and learn, like test a channel, uh, maybe put it with an agency to start with. If it works, then, then bring it in-house. Those kind mm-hmm. of, those, that kind of approach, rather than going, right, we're going to try 20 channels, uh, you know, just find your key channels for us obviously uh, fairly early on that that was paid media um and and you know making sure though that the underlying infrastructure then is set up so you know if you're pushing people to site and they're not purchasing have you got your crm flows set up so they mm-hmm. capture them and mm-hmm. we were fortunate again in a way that after our kickstarter project the launch of the business was delayed by about six months um and it was just the two of us at that stage and so we actually spent the time we didn't get agencies. We literally built all our Clavio flows ourselves, but you know, built everything so we could really understand the business. And and then when we launched, it wasn't like you know our, our website converted five percent off the bat, and you yeah, know emails twenty. It was we 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 were running because like we we'd spent that time up front. Um, interesting. But yeah, cycling back, I'd say the other important thing for us from a kind of acquisition and like how we've approached things is just like a relentless focus on the customer and the, the product and like I, I, it sounds crazy simple but at the end of the day if you do that and you're solving an actual problem that people have um you know be that a deodorant that, that actually works and wanting to be more sustainable um and you have a really great product and you look after the customer then the growth hopefully will, will come if you get the word out there basically yeah it's, it's so interesting because i feel that it sounds easy so it's obviously not like difficult in theory but it does feel like some basics there in terms of consumer products it does make sense right like if you've got those core things right then yeah it it, it should happen i think it's trying to find and like figure out that product and the need and you know sometimes it's a really great product but the customers just aren't there and then vice versa right like customers love you but the product just kind of sucks so it's kind of that that sort of nice middle ground but i'm curious then to sort of uh, just follow on the, the product discussion there how does it work from the kind of you've got this kind of circular product? Maybe you can explain it just in case listeners don't know what the how the product works. But I'm curious, how does that work in reality? Like your, I suppose, manufacturing to supply chain to, you know, how do you create that circular piece within the within the business? Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, so Fussy as a mission, uh, is to, our mission is to banish single-use plastic from the bathroom. Um, our first product's a refillable deodorant. So you simply buy a, a keep case, an outer keep case, and then plastic-free home compostable refills that you, you we, we send straight to your armpits every month and you just kind yeah. of drop, drop them into the case. So you're not throwing away uh, pl- plastic every month. Um, and, the, and the refills themselves, actually, the, the outer casing of those is made from waste sugar cane. So when they squeeze all the sugar out of the cane, they normally throw that cane away we take that and we make a pulp so so they're super sustainable um as well um 
and then yeah in in, sorry what was the question in terms of the supply chain <laughs> yeah well it was more so that, that 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 totally makes sense in terms of like the the actual product I, i'm um how does that kind of work then is that a difficult model to support as a as a business then because you've got this kind of circular nature to it or is it yeah so you've got the thing it's a sustainable refillable like cartridge they're on subscription and then they get the one uh what do you call it the the receptacle that's in the first purchase and then it's just you filling them up with deodorant every does it depend do they choose how often they kind of get it or do you how do you calculate that in terms of the subscription yeah so we, we on average it's four to six weeks about six weeks on average so we set it at three every three months to start with and then customers can adjust that um as they go i guess the you need the really good uh supply chain to underpin that right because if you've got you know tens of thousands of subscribers and they're not getting their uh, subscription on time then you're going to be in trouble um so yeah making sure that you take the time to really understand that and and provide like again an, an ex excellent customer service there um i think one thing we probably did uh early on being from kind of marketing backgrounds is we thought right we've got a great product here how do we now go and get it out there and tell people um we can do that like that, that's what we're trained in like we, we study marketing and then and then before you know it you're like oh shit actually like um how about operations <laughs> <laughs> well talk me through that did, yeah did you did how did you do that were you just sort of trying to figure it out did you bring in someone that was an ops person kind of had it because that that's obviously like a key component to like a direct consumer brand is the operational so, piece yeah so we, we spoke to a lot of people uh of the founders you know message on linkedin and then Got introduced to a consultant and and kind of went from there and and really learned ourselves how to do it to be honest um which is the, the same of every part of the business so looking back i actually think it's really important that you kind of get hands-on with operations so I was, I was booking the deliveries from china and the shipping and, and all of it learning all these acronyms um but there becomes a point where you need to hand over to an expert um i think we could have done that slightly earlier uh, yeah, okay. but 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 equally um equally glad I did it because I can now have a conversation with that person and understand what they're talking about. Yeah. But I guess the outtake would be like, you know, not to think that growth equals marketing. It's like growth equals marketing plus operations. Mm -hmm. You've got to have those two bits to, to, to secure the growth. Um, also just cycling back to acquisition strategy. And, you know, I said having an amazing product and amazing customer, but there's lots of amazing products and stuff out there but it is it is how do you how do you get the product out there right that you've got to tell people about it yep. um and i think and i think that comes down to a few things i think i think money helps so especially in the consumer goods space often it is a land grab um and you know the more money you've got with god in the bank to be able to tell people quickly and grab customers is going to help yep. yep um and then i think like a mentality um which is if you've raised a bit of money you've got to like believe in the product enough to spend it um, to go and acquire those customers and sometimes be more aggressive um, than, than you want to be or, or that you feel comfortable being, especially if you're a first time founder, I think it can be quite intimidating some of the, the you know, the amounts of money that you're dealing with and necessarily spending. Um, but you've got to do that. If, you know, you've got to show that growth if you, if, if you want to kind of grow the business, I suppose. And we were we were chatting before just to sort of slightly change gears, but um, you, you did have a co-founder, but they're no longer part of the business, and you had a, a rather challenging time around that. Do you want to just explain that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, amazing. So, um, 
yeah, me, me and Eddie started the business at, um, we're really, really good friends. And, um, yeah, it was, it, it was great to do it together. And I actually don't think if, um, if we hadn't had each other, I don't think it would have happened because I, I, I personally needed someone to kind of say, you know, to help give me the confidence to, 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 to go through that process of quitting your job, et cetera, like doing it together helped. Um, but yeah, unfortunately we went on Dragon's Den to film in, uh, last year um in, in june the business had only launched about a week so so we didn't have much to talk about um <laughs> and, but unfortunately a week after and and actually on the day of filming dragon's den my wife had given birth and i had to go up to manchester and hide in a bin if you haven't seen the clip i'm basically yeah. hiding in a bin um, so did the birth so, happen before or after the bin hiding but, yeah before just just before so i was Fuck. absolutely knackered and <laughs> in, in, in a bit of trouble as well um for going but um and then Ed, eddie bless him had broken his leg falling down the stairs uh because he was he, he was working on his phone so we must have looked like a right pair but um but we secured investment and and you know the rest is history but yeah and, and unfortunately a week or so later eddie suffered a, a serious health condition that um you know ended up in hospital and ultimately had to eventually leave the business to focus on his health and his recovery and his family um and you know i believe he's doing really really well now and has, has, has kind of gone on to um start another business maybe in with you know slightly less high growth kind of model i think um but um so yeah it was a really challenging time because all these things were happening eddie was off and then i was running the business on my own a week after launching um i think me and an intern uh and uh and then our fulfillment center actually sorry our um our deodorant manufacturer went into administration um and you know with with twenty thousand pounds cash and so we had no deodorant <laughs> no co-founder just just me and and uh yeah, yeah it, it was and a baby so baby, um, yeah 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 <laughs> don't, <laughs> forget, don't, don't forget the baby um but do you know what looking back and it was like i, I was definitely kind of like panicking thinking oh my god this is it it's all over but it built so much resilience uh, mm. in me that period that now and and many of many other things of disasters have happened since then you know you're just kind of like oh okay like that that is running a business mm -hmm. like that that mm -hmm. that is that is what it's like to run a run a startup like there's just constant um constant issues and problems that you think are, are potentially catastrophic but you'll you somehow somehow find a way uh, through them <laughs> The, uh, I did want to touch on the, the Dragon's Den experience in a little bit more detail. So you've explained the kind of like, obviously people will know what it is and you guys did really well out of it. But I'm wondering, like, was it worth it? Like, how were you going into it? Were you going into it thinking we want a secure investment or was it more of a let's get on the show? It's, it's a bit of a marketing play because, you know, it's, you know, pretty, I assume, pretty well received and watched television program. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think six million, five million viewers that night, um, and you will never get the opportunity to buy, to, to to you know pay that pay for that media space. You know, ten minutes of organic TV, five million people on peak time, uh, BBC One. So, yeah, for us, we didn't need the money, um, and we were quite open about that in the den. We said, look, we don't really need to raise the money, right? You know, the fifty grand, we could get that elsewhere. But it, you know, it is it is the dragons that we want on board. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah for us it was it was marketing but also value add um and i think that's we've we, we that's come through we've we've got deborah and peter on board and uh yeah you know they've been great and deborah's been uh you know really um 
a good sport i think you'd say if you have a look at some of the stuff that we've got to do and on, in our latest kind of film she's doing an armpit fart and she's coming <laughs> yes, to she, she's come into the office and done sniff tests and we blindfolded her and you know she's really you know stuff she doesn't really have so to she's do. properly involved because i mean i suppose as an outsider i kind of feel like you know i i this is why i'm so intrigued that like it i couldn't tell how performative the whole thing is so they really are involved in the business so she, she's literally there and like doing what they would do if they invest in you know a sort of more private investment or whatever yeah i think they're there as much as you need them like they're not going to come to you um if you if you kind of ignore that relationship then then that then that's that and i think that's many people are happy with that um but yeah you know with deborah we we kind of reach out to her and um you know yeah she's on whatsapp and you know i'm speaking later today actually about something uh, some press she's helping with so yeah really really hands-on and helpful but like when we need her, so she, she, you know, um, and and the process is really real as well. You know, the due diligence, everything you say in that den has been checked for due diligence already. So nothing on TV can go out without, without it being true. Um, and then, you know, we were in there pitching for two hours, I think. Um, so it was a proper full on pitch. Um, the only bit that isn't real, which I was like, oh my God, this is, I'm, I was gutted and also world exclusive is the lift is 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 fake it's not a real lift it's just a wow. guy over, yeah <laughs> i don't know if we're allowed to say this on the podcast are we we've, uh, we've just we've just oh yeah i, I think I've, we've done worse i think it's okay um, i'm sure there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a guy with a rope literally pulling this uh putting this door open and then you walk into this tv set so wow so like yeah so so the, the so the den isn't real the den's not a warehouse in manchester or anything it's a tv studio um <laughs> right i wonder if you i, I must I, i'm going to go back and look at the credits and see if there's a lift guy like in the credits <laughs> yeah. that, that, that might be the the giveaway that no one's never no one ever knows about um yeah exactly so uh i want to talk a little bit about uh i mean yeah you guys are obviously known for um being incredibly assertive when it comes to your marketing and your positioning and doing stuff that like probably other brands either don't want to or can't do right because they're too big and I've got committees and boards and and all that sort of stuff. Or you guys won't have a board. But talk to me about the Unilever kind of thing. What what happened? How did that kind of play out? And how are you thinking about those sorts of things sort of now? Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I mean, um, firstly, I'll say like um, one of our kind of brand values is that everything is an opportunity. Uh, so I guess that's just like trying to have an optimistic point of view on anything bad that happens, but also like spotting everything as, an, as, as a creative opportunity. Like I think we've, again, something probably talked to us in advertising. Um, but yeah, Unilever, what happened? So we ran some, it's actually our launch ads on Facebook. And they were, I thought they were quite nice paid media ads actually. Um, so it panned, it panned down a line of deodorants and then it ended on ours. Uh, so it was kind of like the evolution of deodorants. Yep. It just so happened those, all those brands that we panned past, <laughs> We're all owned by Unilever, um, every, every single one of them, and and we we hand blanked out the names, so there was lots of logos on there. <laughs> um, so it was slightly naive of us, and, and you know we we, we definitely regret regret doing it because I don't think necessarily having a go at other brands is the best way to market your product, and that, that wasn't necessarily what we were doing. We were just showing like look at these cans and look at our beautiful, you know, it's more about the look and the yeah, feel. But, yeah, yeah, totally. um, But anyway, so we got a we got a strongly worded. 20 page letter from Unilever asking us a cease and desist. Um, oh, wow. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but within what was the, the season that like the the, the 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 ads were running? So it was basically pull those ads. That was that. That's what they were saying. Yeah, because we were using their brand brand curtailing on their reputation, which, which actually ironically I don't think we wanted to wanted to um, curtail on their reputation. But um, but anyway, so um, so yeah, we, we we took them down. But the letter also said, look, you need to let everybody know that these, you know, you take back what you said. Um, so that's kind of what we did. Uh, we we thought, okay, well, we'll, well, we better say sorry, but we'll do it publicly because that's what you've mm. asked us to do. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, nice. Okay, so, and hence the creative opportunity. Exactly, hence the creative opportunity. And um, yeah, everyone was really excited about the idea. Eddie was buzzing about the idea. And um, um, and that was then something that we... So, so so the idea was to deliver an apology to, to Unilever HQ in the form of a giant olive tree to a three-meter olive tree. Um, as a, as a symbol of peace with a letter to the CEO, Alan, um, you know, explaining that we're really sorry. And if we'd had a, a larger marketing department to, to check over what we were doing, we, we, you know, we would have, we would have done so, but, but we didn't have a marketing department. It was just us. So, um, and, you know, we delivered that and I think security didn't know quite what was going on. Very tightly secure building actually though. So they obviously, you know, you know, expect some stuff. Um, <laughs> I do feel, and if he's listening, I want to apologize to the van driver we hired, who was a, a lovely Greek Cypriot uh, guy who who ha- happened to obviously know olive trees very well. And he was like, oh, this is a beautiful olive tree. What are we doing with it? And then we told him and, you know, he said, oh, it's nothing dodgy, is it? I was like, no, 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 definitely dodgy. Don't worry. And then once we delivered the <laughs> he's tree. He's an accomplice. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We jumped back in the van and said, right, go, go, go. And he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, I'll explain later. I'll explain (laughs) later. Um, But um, yeah, uh, Alan, the CEO, um, you know, really good sport. Again, um, we we messaged out on on LinkedIn and he said, I've got the tree. Don't worry, we'll um, we'll look after it. Don't sweat it, guys. So, uh, you know, hats off to him. That that, that was a really good response. And um, yeah, and that all happened actually again. That was fairly soon after Dragon's Den and Eddie's uh, accident because... Eddie was in hospital at the time and the tree was being delivered the day that he'd gone into hospital to his house. Um, so it was kind of like, Oh my God, what we, what do we do? Like, um, but we decided to proceed. I, I got the tree re-delivered to, to my house. Um, and you know, we made, we, we made that happen. So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was good fun. <laughs> nice. Uh, have you heard of the, the water brand in America, liquid death? Oh yeah, I love Liquid Death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Have you seen the thing they've done with the taser stunt? Yeah, yesterday I saw that. Fucking hell, that was full on. Like, I, you know, because I was <laughs> expecting it. Like, they properly taser those guys. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell, like they. <laughs> and you can see that. I think I saw the reaction of one of them was like, "Holy fuck, these guys aren't fucking around." Like, I think he probably <laughs> yeah. thought that they're not actually going to taser me. You know, yeah, and they properly did. Yeah, that, that was, was crazy. so good. Yeah, literally jumped on the whole table yeah. Um, yeah. but i love the bit at the end where it's just like these guys who've obviously just been tasered and they're like you know they, t- they take it take back what they said about the water and they're like this is really good water <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was yeah it was so good and those guys are great i think they also did um 
they got Snoop Dogg, didn't they? And you know, that said that he uses their water for the for bong water because it's like. Oh, did I? I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah nice, yeah, it's nice. The, it's the, it's <laughs> That's <the best>. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good on many <laughs> levels, right? It's like there's an opulence to the bong water, like using expensive liquid death water. I like that. It's good. Yeah, it's nice. so funny. Um, um, and you, know, I don't think there's enough brands doing stuff like that over in the UK. Like, uh, I don't, I, I don't know what it is. Um, us just seems to be slightly slightly ahead there on the dtc front and and in advertising in general actually i always remember like i always used to love american ads because they're they're kind of funny um whereas i think over here we're a bit more a bit more wary about it maybe yeah there's a bit more yeah definitely a bit more reserved i had um the guys i don't know if you've you've seen them but they make like uh 90s inspired like glasses called pit viper i don't know if you've heard of those i've not seen it no yeah so that they're they're um their advertising is very cool it's very um i don't know if you know about like tim and eric like those kind of like infomercials that uh, yeah, yeah, taking yeah a lot yeah. of insp- inspiration from them yeah it's, it's very funny oh yeah um, i love tim and eric oh yeah the website oh, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 it's good um uh i'm curious then it would be remiss of me to not discuss to some degree without us dwelling on it too much just the current kind of macro climate i'm really interested in like you know people that are i mean i suppose i'm on the ground seeing stuff but you know you're on the consumer coalface what are you seeing are you do you guys talk about it a lot are you seeing it as an opportunity how are you kind of thinking about it yeah we talk about it a lot and i think it's a it's really important um there's always a balance as a leader like how much you shield your team from stuff but we have a really open culture here and you know we're in a fairly good position that we've got a, a lot of kind of repeat customers and stuff but we're not actually seeing uh a drop off at the moment in terms of acquisition like costs are going up a little bit but i guess what we're starting to see is kind of a bit of a flat lining the last couple of months in terms of new customer uh growth um but yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens i i think it's just you know as long as you've got your eye on those kind of business fundamentals watching your costs making sure you're improving your margins um then you're in a you're in a, an okay position i think um it's actually harder for companies that are further down the track, I think, and have, you know, big 40, 50 person teams and are burning loads of cash and uh, just raised being nimble um, and, and running things as tight as we could. So uh, we're in a good position in that sense. But and then in terms of, I guess, what I'm expecting, um, obviously, you know, consumers are going to be hard hit and consumer spending is decreasing. But our product is positioned in a place where it is more expensive than uh, a normal deodorant. Um, and and as as awful as it sounds, I, I, you know, I think some of that spending, those the people that spend on those type of products, aren't, aren't going to be too hard hit. Um, I mean, everyone's going to feel like like we're feeling it. Our mortgage has gone up, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But you know, there's there's that lipstick effect that people coin during recessions, which is you know, consumer spending on like, uh, you know, more premium products actually, you know, kind of stays level or like yeah. you say is actually an opportunity because especially if you're in a competitive market and your competitors decide to focus on retention and pull off on acquisition there's a potential opportunity for you there um if you've got the funds to allow you to do that so i think that's what what we're um that's, that's how we're looking at it nice um what would be the the best piece of advice you'd give to somebody who is starting their own brand just start <laughs> that's good Sorry. No. i know that's yeah. a cliche i know that's a cliche but i just do it you know but it's so true like um and you know one one thing we didn't talk about is is when uh, you know starting fussy 
I was kind of that guy that was always down the pub coming up, you know, going, oh, I came up with that idea and someone's done it, you know, or, you know, like, yeah, that that really annoying person that's like, oh, yeah, of course you did. Um, And my wife eventually was just like, can you stop saying that? Like, just do it, for God's (laughs) sake. Just fucking do it, mate, yeah. Yeah, Um, and so actually what happened, I remember it was was Christmas. Um, My dad was driving me back to the, the, the train station to come back to London. I said, you know what? I'm actually, I'm going to do this deodorant thing. I'm, I'm actually going to do it. And he was like, yeah, okay, okay. Um, and it was as simple as that. I was just like, I am going to do it. Like, and you know, at some point, you have to stop researching the market or you know, wondering what's you know, or, or, or seeing like someone else has done it in America. They're going to come over here or like just just do it. Um, and um, that's what we did. I mean, we actually, we just googled it. We just like googled like deodorant manufacturer. So maybe it should be that. Just Google it. Just Google it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's I think it's really sage advice because I think um, I mean, there's there's so much advice, right? Like the the product and customer stuff we talked about at the start. I mean, that's that's really good advice. But I think the, the there is a lot of talk, right? And I think that's probably what defines entrepreneurs. I think or founders or whatever. It's the difference between talking and doing. And I think that yeah. it's that gumption to do it, and then then it's the war of attrition <laughs> that follows yeah. you know that's yeah. kind of the, the the other key component right um, totally um so and it's, uh, it's, it's it, and it's hard to start like starting is hard because the human brain is much better at saying no than it is yes and much easier at finding all the, the reasons not to do something than it is to do something um so having that open mindset again something from advertising and that we, we were taught um and something we try and instill in the team here is 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 trying to you know be open-minded and um so i'd say if you are thinking of starting something you know um start it but also try not to catch find those reasons for not doing it because because you'll find a lot more reasons for not doing it than doing it (laughs) yes exactly um final question where is fussy in five years Ooh, fussy in five years is the authority figure in sustainable personal care that's where we want to be so you know if you think sustainable transport you think tesla sustainable clothing you think patagonia sustainable personal care i want you to think fussy because i think it's a bit more fragmented at the moment and there's obviously a lot of other products and verticals that you can be in right as you were saying sort of deodorants the kind of entry piece and then it can kind of really expand from there yeah exactly exactly i think fussy as a name can sit across multiple product verticals quite nicely but you know fussy body fussy skin fussy teeth fussy kids how far along we get that in our journey, I, I don't know. But I well, I'll book to. you in in twenty twenty seven. We'll have you back on the yeah. pod. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll see where you're at. How about that? Yeah. Oh God, it's scary. Yeah, <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> All right, Matt. I think that's a good place to end the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. There you go, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Clevio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. You know what they say about folk.